Hello, and welcome to another episode of Give Us This Day, Our Daily Lou. Well, I'll read a piece out of the Bhagavad Gita, and I'll talk about it. Hope you're having a lovely Tuesday, January 3rd, New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. I was going to show up on time. <laughs> Why change anything? Just keep doing how we do it, baby. There is no time. There is no space. When we are living in this place. So... Here we go. This is now the beginning of chapter 12, The Way of Love. Mm, bhakti Yoga, The Way of Love, of devotion. This is all about, I believe, devotion and the way of love, which is Bhakti Yoga, four yogas. Karma Yoga is basically is what most of these chapters are about, doing the work without attachment to it. They got Bhakti Yoga, which is the way of devotion or love pure love uh then you have raja yoga which is like basically psychology the psychological yoga going within and studying the mind and all that and then you got jhana yoga which is studying the scriptures the religions and all that good stuff all of them have the same exact path the same purpose to free the binds of the soul so we can remember again and uh who we are so remember, uh, whenever I start a new chapter, all I'm going to do is read from the translator, who is Eknath Aswaran. We read out of Eknath Aswaran's The Bhagavad Gita, introduced and translated by Eknath Aswaran. That's E-K-N-A-T-H-E-A-S-W-A-R-A-N. Eknath Aswaran. So I'm just going to read his words. Maybe I'll touch, and I might throw a little something from Swami Vivekananda. I might, I might treat you to a little Swami Vivekananda. So I'll take it easy. Hold on to your pants. I know. We go nuts when we hear the Swami Vivekananda dance. Hang out. I'll be right back. Right now, we're going to do the uh, chapter 12, The Way of Life. This is Eknath Aswaran's translation. So it's just preparing you for what's to come in this chapter. This is what this chapter is about. This short chapter focuses upon the supreme importance of devotion and faith in spiritual development. Here, love or personal devotion is the most powerful motivation in spiritual life. The world's great religions agree on this point. All religions allow for a way of devotion and millions of men and women have found spiritual fulfillment in devotion to Christ, the Buddha, or Muhammad. Hinduism has allowed a place for the path of knowledge as well as the path of devotion. Here, however, the Gita stresses the efficiency of devotion. The Upanishads, the final word on mystic experience uttered by the Vedas, stressed the ultimate reality, the eternal truth behind the ephemeral things of this world. The teachers of the Upanishads told their students to seek knowledge of the Atman, their true self. The consummation of this knowledge was to know that the self within was one with Brahman, the ultimate reality pervading all things. This was encapsulated in the statement Tat Tvam Asi, which means you are that. That imperishable being, that immortal reality. Brahman, the nameless, formless Godhead, could be known only in the superconscious state. The Gita moves away from such an approach to religion. For as Krishna says, 
seeking an eternal, indefinable, oh, indefinable, hidden Godhead is rather a tall order for the average or even above average person. In fact, in this chapter, it is said to be beyond the reach of practically all embodied beings. This path of wisdom, wisdom may be just too spiritual for Earth's children, because those who identify to a large degree with their physical nature find the way of knowledge too steep to climb. We can turn to one of the Western followers of this path to see why. This is Dionysus, the Arpagit. I can't say that word. He's a Christian monk from... Well, I, forgot, I forgot I was reading someone else for a second. I'm sorry, because I know about Dionysus a little bit, so I was going to go on my own little spiel. But... This is Dionysus, a Christian monk of the 5th century, sounding remarkably like verses 3 to 4 of this very chapter. Then, beyond all distinction between knower and known, the aspirant becomes merged in the nameless, formless reality, wholly absorbed in that which is beyond all things and in nothing else. Having stilled his intellect and mind, he is united by his highest faculty with that which is beyond all knowing. Fortunately, there is the path of love, for when God is loved in personal aspect, the way is vastly easier. According to the Hindu scriptures, God can be loved as a merciful father, a divine mother, a wise friend, a passionate beloved, or even as a mischievous child. So they're the best, honestly. There's like no, there's like barely any, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, like in Hindu religion, goddesses were just as powerful, not more powerful than gods. A lot of these other religions, all you hear is heinous. Take it easy. We might turn to the Christian mystics for help here, for most of them have walked the way of love. It's very true, the way of Christ and all that is the bhakti yoga, just until they kill people about it. The medieval Christian work called The Cloud of Unknowing states that love is the sure, safe path to God. Because the mystic Christians were not the ones that were getting on horses and killing everyone like King Arthur. But you notice how, we, how the Western hero idea was, oh, let's be King Arthur. Savage that he was. Be Christ. All right. I'm sorry. Christian work called The Cloud of Unknowing states that love is the sure, safe path to God. By love, he can be gotten and holden by thought never. In a well-known passage in the New Testament, St. Paul puts love above knowledge and even above miraculous powers. But I shall give you a more excellent way. Love never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And St. John of the Cross tells consciously why the vast majority of human beings find it easier to overcome their weaknesses through love than through knowledge. So this is St. John of the Cross. In order to overcome our desires and to renounce all those things, our love and inclination for which are wont to inflame the will that it delights therein. We require a more ardent fire and a nobler love, that of the bridegroom. If our spiritual nature went not on fire with other and nobler passions, we should never cast off the yoke of the senses. But such love is often not forthcoming in the struggling soul. 
even in one like Arjuna. So Krishna says that if Arjuna is not able to focus his devotion, he should learn to do so through the regular practice of meditation. Even love and devotion can be cultivated through their regular practice. They needn't be regarded as mysterious forces, divine gifts of the spirit. If even the attempt at regular practice should fail, Krishna is still not ready to let Arjuna admit defeat. He should, Krishna says, work selfishly without desire for the fruits of his labors. But real peace of mind comes only from renunciation. The word tayaga here seems to mean renunciation of abandonment of self-will more than anything else. Such self-surrender may be a last resort, but if it is genuine to bring immediate peace. Verses 13 to 20 describe the characteristics of the genuine lover of God. Such a saintly person, Krishna points out, is greatly loved and and dear to Krishna himself. Huh? Who? Really, you know, I don't. Not that I don't like reading them like that, but I get lost. Like, because I could read and think about other things, so I for, I'll sometimes just forget like what I'm doing. And then in my mind, I'm going on journeys, and I'm like, what the fuck? All right, let's get back. And then I and I like black out. Like, Did I say everything right? How's it sound on the other end? I don't but like I said, we're going to bring a little Swami Vivekananda. I would suggest listening again. It's 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Here's Swami Vivekananda who talks on renunciation. Because as we just finished off, he should, Krishna says, work selflessly without desire for the fruits of his labors. But real peace of mind comes only from renunciation. Now, what are we talking about when all the religions talk about renunciation? To manifest the infinite through the finite is impossible. And sooner or later, man learns to give up the attempt to express the infinite through the finite. This giving up, this renunciation of the attempt, is the background of ethics. Renunciation is the very basis upon which ethics stands. There never was an ethical code preached which had not renunciation for its basis. So that's what we talk about when we talk about renunciation. To renounce the idea that the finite, the infinite man can even express the finite in the way we desire to. Each one of us are expressions of the finite when we remember and understand such. But when we are thinking that we'll be able to figure out or solve, have a figure out a mathematical problem that's going to give us the answer to the universe. Think about what you're actually saying. Like, just think about that. You're trying to get a fucking golf ball through a garden hose. Who are you, Heather Deep Throat? Doubt it. So that's what we got. We got chapter 12 coming up. The way of love, bhakti yoga. It's, it's a beautiful way. So, you know how it goes. That is the speakings of the Gita for today. And as always, thank you for tuning in WLOU, the smooth sounds of the Bhagavad Gita.